Hello and welcome to a little R&R, the movie podcast where we review and recommend films in theaters and at home. Journey with us as we help you separate the crap from the quality. I'm Maureen. And I'm Becca. Thanks for joining us. Alright. Disney's Artemis Fowl. It, it, it's a movie. It, it happened, unfortunately, for my childhood. It happened. <laughs> <laughs> I've literally been waiting for this movie since I was like 13 and they first like got the rights. I don't know if it's originally Disney who had the rights for this, but they've been talking about doing an Artemis Fowl movie back when... Have you seen a series of unfortunate events with the... Um, with Jim Carrey, the original movie. Um, I haven't seen it, but I I know of it. Well, the the kid in that who plays Klaus was originally being talked about for potentially playing Artemis. Okay. So back when this kid was a kid is when they were first talking about this shit. So like it's been oh. that long. Wow. Like back when Harry Potter was still a phenomenon, they they were going <laughs> around like, what are all the the little kid properties we can find and make movies of. <laughs> and so I, I've literally been waiting for a movie of Artemis Fowl for that long, and who boy was this disappointing. <laughs> uh, yeah. I it agree. just was such a, a nothing movie. I I really, really didn't like it at yeah. all. Like, I do want to. I do want to preface everything bad I'm about to say to the movie, um, is to, if we have any kind of reach at all, is to encourage people to remember that these are kids in this film, uh, and mm-hmm. they are not responsible for the script. They're not responsible for any of the production at all, and all they are is just like really nice, talented kids who, uh, uh, you know, acted in a story that adults wrote and produced and put out mm-hmm. into the world for us uh, because I uh, hit the kid who played Artemis Fowl his he has a very Irish uh, name that I couldn't pronounce so I uh, quickly YouTubed him and I was like oh maybe he'll say his name in an interview and the very first video I watched that popped up was just him being like this happy-go-lucky kid just doing like a little one-sided interview about what the film is and like the top two comments in the uh video were gee I feel bad for this kid he's the new uh Jake Lloyd of Star Wars yeah he sucks man oh his career is going down man because this movie was so bad I'm like he's a fucking kid so fuck all y'all like (laughs) Be fucking yeah. adults. Anyway, little PSA. <laughs> yeah. I... Yeah, no, I, I blame this movie almost solely on Kenneth Branagh, because he had a lot of credits in that opening stuff. Um, he didn't just direct it, he produced it. I, I think he also wrote the script for it, maybe. Not 100% on that, but I saw him have several credits. And... I just I I hated this all all around. I I think they they didn't capture anything from the books at all. Like Artemis, the portrayal of him, like no shade to the that Irish kid we can't name, but like 
the portrayal of Artemis is completely wrong. Like, even if that's how they put him on the page, even from the page, that was wrong. Yeah, because I, re- I remember you describing to me that he was, like, this asshole criminal Yeah, the, in the first book, he's the villain. Which, which is also a gripe I have mm-hmm. with this, is they smushed three different books together. The same way they did with the series of Unfortunate Events movies. But, like, so, the him capturing Holly and having her at his mansion and, like, trying to outsmart the fairies, that's the first whole book, is that. And then the saving his dad is the second book. And then Opal, who's the bad person who we never even see, she's just wearing a fucking hood, the person who kidnaps the dad, Opal, like, Opal's deception is, like, the fifth, fourth or fifth book. So they smushed three different ideas into one story, and it does not work. Like, nothing gets fleshed Mm -hmm. out. They made the... Like, I understand the fairy realm is underground, but they made it look so disgusting. Like, the world building... Like, other than Artemis' mansion, everything in this looked so dirty and gross and awful. And it's like, who would even want to mm-hmm. spend time in this world, even just watching it from an outsider's perspective? Like, this is a fantasy series. Like, you watch fucking Lord of the Rings, and you see Middle-Earth, and you want to go there. So, like, why the fuck are you sitting here making your fantasy world look like dog shit? Like, I want to go to Ireland now, but that that was a thing before Artemis Fowl. Like... <laughs> But, like, everything in the fairy world looked terrible. Like, none of it was interesting. None of it was was well-designed. It it looked terrible. And I was just, like, so mad about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It felt very, uh, it didn't feel like anything was uniquely theirs. I mean, they kind of did, like, a few, um, kind of a, like, blanket thing of, like, okay, what's, you know, typically a futuristic fairy world? You know, it's like, oh, some flying things, uh, some zappy things, and, you know, some green suits. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they're like, as you said, it didn't have any kind of appeal to it. Like, the only bits we saw were the uh, policing aspects of it. So we just saw, like, a, a police building. Um, and uh, we saw, like, uh, their prison system. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> that was about it. Yeah. I was just going to say, it definitely wasn't a, uh, a world that I felt like I would want to, like, freely expo- explore. Like, uh, it wasn't a well-painted picture, you know? Like, your eye really didn't want to wander or didn't have any, uh, uh, any like, uh, leading uh, background material that, you know, made you want to, like, kind of wander around and, like, lose focus of, like, the main character. That was yeah. in that scene. So, um, as someone who hasn't read the books, d- did the story make sense to you? Like, I, I don't know. Like, not really. It took me. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I I kind of got like the the basics of it. It's like when you when you think about it, like as a like a really simple breakdown. What is this about? Oh, it's about a kid who uh, gets told his dad is a criminal. 
Um, but then uh, the dad, in fact, is like a savior of artifacts. So kind of like Indiana Jones, but he keeps them. It doesn't put them in a museum because... I don't know. I guess he doesn't trust museums or banks. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, so he has to save him from the bad woman. Uh, and he enlists some help. <laughs> so uh, it it was a little... It was one of those things where I felt like we didn't move anywhere. Because obviously, obviously, it all takes place in uh, um, the house and there are tons of story, you know, tons of amazing stories that only take place in a single building, like, you know, the classic The Room. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But a brilliant piece of cinema. Um, But uh, this was one of those things where I felt like so much was happening, and yet I kept waiting for something to happen, (laughs) if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, like, things are passing by on screen, but none of it has any substance to it. Mm-hmm. So you're just watching people talk and things unfold, but it none of it's fleshed out. I hated the fucking Josh Gad narration over the entire thing. Like, that was so unnecessary. It didn't make any sense to me. That was what I was... That was one of the early things that really just threw me off. I was like why is he narrating this? I was like, yeah. were they that much in a pinch? And also, like, why? Like, there are certain things that happened with this character. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like, mm, th- yeah, that's a huge spoiler, actually. Um, but uh, I was I- just kind of like, why? <laughs> Did we? W- why, though? <laughs> Honestly, if we want to just go ahead and spoil this, like, I, I really wouldn't care. I don't think anybody else would either. So I I didn't understand why they needed him to get arrested. (laughs) I was like, what? Yeah, no, that that made no sense to me either. And I don't even like it's been quite a while since I've read these books. But like, I don't even remember there being a specific tie into the books as to why he had arrest got arrested because we have no idea who he's even talking to. So it makes no sense that at the at the very end, when he's like, "Baha, I had to get uh, fucking arrested so I could tell this story, and then they could bust me out." And you're just like, "Why? Who even are these people? What is yeah. the goal of this? I don't understand." Like, is this uh, the fantasy realm equivalent of Area Fifty One? Are they like the keepers <laughs> of all things, you know, like Middle Earthy? Um, like, was he there to like scare them into? I, I don't know, not going after them, but I'm like, I think also maybe if, I, I, don't, I don't know, it just, it was so confusing to me that I was like, did you really just like shoehorn Josh Gad's character into being in prison to like, ooh, bait and switch us, the audience, into thinking he was a criminal, you know, but then uh, he, it was all a ploy. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just like, I I just, I really hated his character, which sucks, because Mulch Diggums in the books is really funny and really great, but, like, he kept having these awkward, like, comedy moments where he was trying to fit some humor into this movie, mm-hmm. and it just, all of it felt so flat for me, like, yeah, nothing he said made me laugh, and I was just like, this is so awkward, like... This movie has nothing to it. You can't even get any comedy into it. 
Yeah. Like, there's the Foley the centaur, and at one point Josh Gad is like, what are your parents even like? And he's just like, that's Yeah, he was gonna call him funny. the son of a bitch, and he's like, but wait, what are your parents? I just, yeah, I just think that the story in general was so rushed. Like, uh, for example, the the relationship between Holly and Artemis to the point where they become friends happens in the span of, like, a scene. Whereas that is the entire first book. Yeah, um, I, ta- I, I talked about this after I watched it, because uh, they're like, are we friends? Yes, we're friends. I trust you, like, whatever. And I'm like, what the fuck happened that they're suddenly okay with each other? I'm like, he's holding her prisoner, has no, uh, he, like, revelation as to what her identity is until she's, you know, mentions her dad died. Um, and, uh, you know, like, uh, her compatriots are outside trying to rescue her. Uh, so why is he suddenly thinking that he can trust her and let her out of the cage and all that? Uh, yeah. and then suddenly friends, I, it just, it didn't make <laughs> sense. It was like, we hate each other. We're friends. Okay. So yeah. I think, uh, the main failing of this is I, I have the feeling that they knew when they were writing this, that they weren't going to get a second film out of it. Like I, 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 this was written like a one-off that should have been written like a trilogy. But they still end the movie with them flying off onto the next adventure. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, so, were they really hedging their bets? But you've also now flubbed three different books. So where the fuck are you even going from here, you know? See, this reminds me of uh, Aragon, the film. Oh, oh I God. Think you, have you seen it? <laughs> yeah. Because uh, yeah. uh, at the time that it was released, I think there were at least... Definitely two books, um, and I think the third one was released. Um, But they, like, shoehorned in a lot of random story development in it. And, uh, like, we got a couple reveals, and they left off, like, uh, until the next adventure, coming to your screens, you know? (laughs) And just nothing. But in a way, it was still written like it was a one-off like you could watch it and it could be a one-off so Mm -hmm. i i think that came with the we're not sure how this is going to be received we probably won't get any kind of like funding or okay to get a second film so let's write it like we're gonna have to cut it off that's how it felt yeah uh yeah it's it's just like if you had done this properly those are very popular kids books to the point where they've even been made into graphic novels mm-hmm. like this is a very prop like popular ip like it, it's not unknown if you had done this properly and the trailers didn't look like shit people would have actually come out to see this yeah like my my niece who's 13 reads the graphic novels. I read these books back when I was around her age. Like, that's, like, 20 years of a group of people that are into this story and would have gone and seen this if it had been done properly. So Mm -hmm. there was no reason to fuck it up, you know? 
I don't know. At this point, I think, unless it's uh, a known hit, they don't like to hedge. Like they like to hedge their bets if they can, and just be like, "Oh well, if it works, great. If it doesn't, oh well." On to the next thing. At this point, Disney can have a couple of flops because they have all the money in the world. I just wish this had something. Like, even. Like, you can't even make Judy Dench fun to watch. I know her character was a little bit. I can't put a finger on it, but I didn't really enjoy her character. I think she. Because, um, I, I mean, I, I definitely got the presence, like, they were going for with her. And I, I, try, I try to imagine when I know it's based on a book, like, okay, like, what's, what's not being said? What are they trying to convey visually that might be, like, the backstory that we'd be getting? So, like, uh, at first she was, like, moving around on a. Essentially, a, a one a of those, segway? like, uh, segue <laughs> things. And I was like, futuristic segue. And I was like, it could be a character thing. Also, she is elderly, like, as an actress. So I'm like, maybe that was written in for her so that she could get across the screen. Uh, yeah. Which would, you know, be a good use of, you know, whatever. Uh, but I, so I think they kind of did a good job with the on-screen relationship between her and Holly, maybe, but I, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if they were supposed to have any kind of, like, deeper connection or not, or if it was just supposed to be this, like, cold business, you know, relationship, so, which is fine. In the books, uh, they gender-bent that character. It's originally a man. Commander Root is a guy. Okay. And in the books, they have, like, a father and daughter relationship. Like, he's become her surrogate father because her dad is dead. Uh-huh. So they kind of tried to do that, but you don't get that because Judy Dench is a woman. So it, you don't immediately think, like, oh, she's her father figure now. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't... It. I didn't feel much, like, sympathy. Like, I didn't feel like they had much history. It felt like, I mean, she's, she's like, they have a moment, I think, in, in an elevator or a hallway or something, and she's like, you're 84 years old. You have your whole life ahead of you. You're so young and stuff. And I'm like, is she, like, a new recruit? Like, how long has she been in the, you know, game or whatever? Like, how long has she been an officer? And, uh, um... I, I didn't get that, like, parental, you know, surrogate parental vibe at all. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, that, like, the whole, um, the little weaselly-looking elf man who, like, turns on Root and, uh, when they're at the mansion and, like, all of a sudden he's taking over and Root has no power. Yeah. Th that's the fourth or fifth book, Opal's Deception, is when everybody turns on Root. So they just try to, like, cram that in there real quick. Just like, and now yeah. we're all turning on Root for no discernible reason other than we were told to. Because this very underdeveloped villain is telling us to. And it's just like, what the fuck is even happening? Yeah, that was another thing I was gonna bring up, too, was, uh, First of all, how was this guy just suddenly reinstated by a villain? <laughs> and then what is his place? Like, what is his rank? What is his duty? Does anybody question the fact that he was in prison? What? <laughs> was he in prison or was he just held captive by Opal? 
I don't even know. At that point, okay. I kind of zonked <laughs> out, and then all of a sudden, everybody's <laughs> turning on Commander Rune, and I'm like, I, I don't yeah, know how that... we got here, but I don't care. <laughs> that was that was my main like when all that was happening. I was like, on whose authority, sir? I was like, why are you taking <laughs> over her command mid siege, and why is everybody okay with it? And then suddenly they're like, but we have one on the inside. We're gonna turn on the magic. Because that's why I made you a captain, sir. And I'm like, who the fuck who is this team? <laughs> like, yeah, like, who the fuck even are these people? Like, we don't know. Nobody's developed. Nobody has a character arc in this fucking movie. Uh, when Butler dies, it means absolutely nothing. And then he's immediately revived. So you're just like, okay. I know, I like, uh... When he was dying, I was like, are they really going to kill him off? I feel like this character, I, I feel like he would be that mentor character who, like, leads the uh, protagonist through his stories. Like, I mean, this isn't like an Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, Luke Skywalker situation. Like, it doesn't make sense to kill him off in the beginning because he's yeah. really just, like, a bodyguard, not like a... I, I guess mentor. not really a mentor. He he really is just a safekeeper and a bodyguard. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I was just like, what gain do you have, like, story-wise to kill that's, this character off? That's another thing that kind of fucked up as well is, so in the first book, Artemis's dad has already been missing for, like, years. He was on a boat. It went missing. Nobody knows where he is. His mom has gone insane. So, for years, Artemis has just been basically looking after himself, because his mom has mentally gone unstable, so she's just, like, lost her shit, and his mm. dad is gone. So, basically, Artemis is watching himself, and then Butler's doing what he can to kind of look after him. And so, Butler's role is supposed to be kind of, like, bodyguard slash best friend slash, like voice of reason type of thing but there was so little development between him and Artemis because they kept throwing the dad in yeah like the dad's not supposed to be such a prominent character in this because his book is the second book so they completely fucked over Butler and his relationship with Artemis and they also fucked over Holly and her relationship to Artemis so nobody has any connection to anybody people are dying and you're just like oh okay whatever they get brought back you don't feel anything and then you'll just be like oh phew Butler's alive and you're just like why do we even give a shit he's gotten like two scenes yeah I remember thinking in regards to Butler's character I was like well he's the dad's bodyguard right <laughs> i was like how much does he actually interact with the kid but then it was like suddenly like i i don't know it just seemed like it, he was more bonded to the kid than he was the dad and i was super confused <laughs> so basically um how it works is the butler family are basically trained from a young age to be bodyguards and most of them watched like people like the fowls. So I I don't remember if but like the butler and butler in this movie started off as the dad's bodyguard and then he got when the dad went missing he went to Artemis or if the dad had his own butler. But I do know Juliet's not supposed to be twelve, she's supposed to be like seventeen. 
and at one point in the books, Butler does die, and there's this big, like, hullabaloo to bring him back to life. It's like a big deal. But Juliet becomes Artemis's new bodyguard, and she's like 17, and she's still kind of learning, but she has to kind of take on that role because Butler's dead, and her family's, that's their job, is to watch the fowls. But, like, you can't have that happen because she's the same age as Artemis, and it would just be, like, chaos. So, like, I, I can't think of a single thing this movie got right. You know, like I liked Colin Farrell as Artemis Senior, that like good casting there, but he really shouldn't have been in this fucking movie. Like if they had yeah. waited, introduced him in the second one, that would have been perfect. But like, it, you can't have Colin Farrell and give him one scene. You know, like unfortunately, that's not how Hollywood works. <laughs> so he had to be in this movie way more than he should have been. Yeah, that was the other thing with the uh, Juliet. I was like, that was another character where she got so little screen time, so little attention um, that it was almost as if she wasn't there. And mm-hmm. uh, to the point, to the point where, like, in the you know battle scene, I kept forgetting about her, and then someone would be like Juliet, and I'd be like, oh damn. <laughs> <laughs> I was right, like, oh shit, sense. I forgot. <laughs> um, but I was like, I feel like she's supposed to be more than just a body, right? <laughs> like, yeah. He's he's like, because like during the narration, he's like, so uh, Butler got, you know, somebody who knew the mind of a 12-year-old. Another 12-year-old. And then it was her offering him a sandwich and getting denied. <laughs> Is this how? What? I was like, She's is this what you envisioned? People sandwiches. That's, that's her <laughs> whole job. It's just, hey, you want a sandwich? I can make a sandwich. I'm 12 years old. I can put some shit on some bread and feed it to you. Is that what you want? That's what I'm here for. I was just like, that's why you brought her. I yeah. uh, yeah, it was so stupid and. Uh, yeah, I felt like they didn't do her character any justice at all. No. You don't even get that, like, they keep talking about how Artemis is smart and a criminal mastermind, and you're just like, where? Where is yeah. this actually happening? Like, you keep telling me, but you're not showing me that he actually is smart at all. And at one point, Mulch Diggums in this stupid fucking narration is like, oh, but he was so smart and he had them have me come in and I was just like okay wh- how was that smart what what <laughs> cause like you don't even everything happens so quickly you don't even know what Artemis's plan is or what moves he's making because we're told all of that in this stupid fucking narration yeah Like, we never see them planning, we never see them making moves against the fairies. We don't even see the fairies making moves against Artemis. They just kind of attack, they put the time thing up, Butler immediately shoots it and it goes weird, and then it's just like, a whole bunch of shit happens, but it doesn't ever feel like, like, movement on a chessboard, where it's like, oh, well, you're making this move, so I'm gonna make this move to counteract it. Like, no, not, like, shit just happens. Shit just happens. And it's just like, at what point are we supposed to feel anything for any of these people? And when are we supposed to get that Artemis is actually smart? Didn't get either of those. 
I really just I have nothing good to say about this movie. Can you think of anything good to say about it? I really liked the gun that Holly had. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Excellent guns. A plus I thought it was gunning. like a interesting design. <laughs> it was like you have the handle on your backhand and then you're like... I don't know. It looked kind of cool. Very compact. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, that's, uh, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's what I said. <laughs> oh, I liked her haircut. Go- I liked yeah. her haircut. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then they just added that stupid fucking MacGuffin. Oh, we gotta get the MacGuffin to bring my dad back like what are even the rules for this fucking thing like we have no idea what it does and then they're just using oh the the dad's there our arctic oculus articlus arturus i don't even remember what the fuck it's called that's how stupid it was (laughs) i was uh really confused by it too because i was like isn't it just a portal so i wasn't sure what she did to bring back the dad she used it, and then he appeared in a different room. And I'm like, is, that, that's not how a portal... Like, I mean, is it one of those, like, wishing portals? Like, I really wish this person were here right now. I'm like, poof. Because uh, it's... Uh, I'm like, I thought the danger of it was that it was a skeleton key that unlocked the portals to all the different realms, and you could travel freely. So by that, I'm, I imagine it's a two-way. So to get there, you have to get there. And then uh, to bring him back, he has to, one, know that's what you're trying to do, so he's aware. (laughs) You know, (laughs) uh, maybe he clicked his heels and it was just, you know, perfect timing. I don't know. But, uh, like, how how did he end up in the house without any kind of direction from the person opening the portal? I I didn't get it. I didn't understand. Yeah, Yeah, they, they did a really shitty job about explaining any sort of rules for this universe. Yeah. Like, you think of any, like, Harry Potter, you know the rules of that world. Like, yeah. any other story like this, there's usually very set ground rules about what you can and cannot do with magic. And they did such a shitty job about explaining any of it. Yeah. They're just like, here's a magical creature you maybe sort of know. Here's a goblin. Oh, here's a fairy. Oh, here's a centaur. <laughs> like, but they just like yada yada their way through this whole fucking script and it's just like this is embarrassing (laughs) so yeah no I wouldn't recommend it even though it's it's there it's on Disney Plus uh, but I I, even just putting aside my I loved the books as a kid hat just as a movie fan this was a shitty movie like, it wasn't yeah. even good at a movie standard. Like, not even just they did a horrible job adapting this story. They did a horrible job making a movie. Mm-hmm. So, I really don't have anything to recommend this. I, I kind of hated it, so so I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> yeah, I think this would be a pass. I mean, there... There's still, as always, I mean, there's elements that, like, kids can still get out of it, you know? So, like, from a kid perspective, maybe they haven't seen the book. Maybe they'll get distracted by all the pretty CGI. 
Um, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, this definitely isn't like a, a must watch. Yeah. Definitely not a fun for all ages type of thing. Like, oh, it'll make you feel like a kid again. No, it made me feel sad. Like, <laughs> that's it made all me I feel felt. Sadness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just terrible world building in general. I so yeah. Poster looks really cool though, which is disappointing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I the thing I don't get. So Kenneth Branagh, who is wildly inconsistent as a director, he like he directed Cinderella. And even though I wasn't like a like the Disney mm. live action remake one with uh, Lily something anyway, so he directed the live action Cinderella. And like even though I wasn't a huge fan of it, just because I've seen that the Cinderella story way too many fucking times, like yeah. it was aesthetically pleasing. Like that movie looked pretty, regardless mm. of everything else I felt about it. So, like, I don't understand why this movie looked so bad. <laughs> like, that, that's one thing I didn't get. I feel like, uh, whether it's intentional or not, a lot of times I find films like this um, that have very, very weak story, and they tend to throw a lot of, uh, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, you know, into it. Uh, kind of like a going out of business sale or, you know, like a <laughs> buy today or it's, or it's gone tomorrow. So you just kind of like jump on the train really quick. And like, that's how they're hoping you're going to follow this story is like, wait, what happened? Oh, no time. They're about to be overtaken by this guy, you know? So they just kind of keep throwing elements and, uh, uh, changes, um, you know, left and right to kind of keep you unconcerned with the little details yeah distracted and uh yeah it would have been so much easier to be distracted though if it had been pretty (laughs) like i can't tell you how many movies i'm like like dr strange is not like a great movie like it's okay it's it's very similar to a lot of other superhero movies, but the visual effects on it were so goddamn pretty, and it was, like, a joy to watch visually. So, like, if you're Mm -hmm. gonna have a middling story, make up for it with the CGI, and make your movie, like, aesthetically pleasing, is how I think. But, like, they had a terrible script, and then the movie looked like poop. <laughs> yeah, so I was just like, "What did you people spend your time and your money on?" Because it wasn't the script and it wasn't the effects. Uh, maybe Judy Dench was telling some great stories on set, and they all got caught up in that. I don't know. <laughs> there must have been something y'all were. They were all doing. too busy. They were all too busy playing D and D with her. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that would be a good time, but. When Judy Dench says we play D and D, we play D and D. And it's Lily James, by the way, from uh, oh, Cinderella. Thank it, you. Was, it, it was bugging me because I couldn't think of it. I was like, I know it, but I. Uh. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Well, since we won't recommend Artemis Fowl, what what would you recommend? Uh, so I have a few. Uh, so I 
uh, have been uh, watching Queen of the Th- Queen of the South on uh, Netflix. Uh, so they're oh. four seasons in. The fourth season was just released this month, uh, so I got to cu- catch up on that. Uh, so it's about um, a woman uh, from Mexico uh, who starts out as a money changer on the street. So she's just working uh, in that realm, and then she uh, starts dating a uh, drug runner. And then uh, as uh, she's with him, she like moves from uh, being a money changer to just kind of like being his girlfriend and. Uh, uh, relying on um, his, his progression through the drug world ranks. Um, but then one day it all flips topsy-turvy. He gets murdered. His partner gets murdered. Uh, so she has to go on the run, and then she's uh, um, suddenly on the streets again. So she's uh, working through the ranks uh, herself from the ground up. Um, it starts out as a survival game. Uh, so she's just trying to survive, but then she finds that she has, like, a real knack for, uh, rule, essentially. Uh, so she, uh, um, progresses, and then soon she has her own, uh, drug ring and, uh, her own small cartel that she's growing with a few, uh, very loyal, uh, uh, men around her. Um, so it kind of gives you, like, a little bit, um of uh, Daenerys vibes from Game of Thrones, but I would say where Daenerys' story fails constantly, uh, (laughs) hers is uh, pretty solid and very strong, and her character is a very strong and uh, um, calculated character, uh, which is why she's able to progress and survive in this world, a very dangerous world. So in the first... Uh, three seasons. Uh, she is uh, largely based in Mexico with her cartel. And uh, so as she's moving up the ranks. She's making enemies uh, with existing cartels in Mexico, uh, namely uh, the Mexican governor who is uh, um, on the political front face poster child of uh, trying to rid Mexico of drugs. But on the other hand, he's uh, wrapping up his cartel business and, uh, you know, uh, you know, making the move from cartel to clean business, so to uh, legitimate business. Um, and so as she gets more involved in the game, she's, you know, messing up his plans. Um, she, she is not, like, one to instigate a war by any means. She's, at, you know, a survivor. So any, you know, anything she's doing business-wise or whatever, she's not trying to step on toes and yet she still does (laughs) so she kind of finds herself as his number one enemy and uh his wife as well uh um is a a very vindictive uh drug lord um and cartel leader so uh she has these two people who are just dead set on killing her and destroying her business uh, so that's kind of largely the main three seasons. And then season four, we actually see her break away a little bit uh, from that. And she actually, uh, her story is based in uh, America uh, for all of season four in North Carolina, where she's starting to set up more legitimate businesses. Um, still, obviously, still very much involved with the cartel, but she is trying to set a base um for her and her crew to be able to start legitimizing themselves and then eventually leave the life. Uh, so it's really cool. Um, the uh, 
Uh, the story is really cool and fun. And uh, um, the actress, Alice Braga, um, she does an amazing job. She's a very, like, uh, powerful yet subtle character, or uh, presence, I should say, on screen. Um, so it's kind of like that, you know, um, misleading where you look at her and at first you might see like a petite woman uh, and yet she's responsible for, you know, it, you know, a huge thriving cartel business and uh, she's very tough. She's survived like a lot of shit um, and she knows how to um, how to run a gang in a way that keeps them in place, but also like, uh, keeps them a family, like a family vibe kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's where it's like, you kind of get those like Daenerys vibes where it's like people are following her, uh, because it's profitable, but also because they believe in her, not only the business, they believe in her. So it's really cool. It's a, it's a, a lot of fun. Um, I think they are already renewed for season five. Uh, so obviously when the world is better, they'll be able to start working on that officially. Yeah. But yeah, so there's that. Season four just was released on Netflix. Um, and the other thing, I finally got around watching Stuber. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, because uh, with Dave Bautista and Kumail Nanjiani, because uh, that was released to HBO. Uh, oh, a couple months ago, a few months ago, I'm not sure. Um, so it was pretty funny. It wasn't uh, quite as funny as I thought it was going to be. It was a little bit more like, I mean, it was the classic goofy guy gets mixed up with a hot-headed cop, you know, and the hot-headed cop drags him on all these, like, crazy, dangerous adventures. Um, I'm honestly trying to think of what the plot was. Huh. <laughs> <But> <laughs> it was really another memorable. one of those things. It was another one of those things where it's like we all know what this is. This is a funny action movie, so it's like we're not, you know. I mean, even though it did have a good plot, it wasn't like uh, you know, like amazing plot or anything. Um, but it was fun to watch. It was it was really funny. Um, and uh, there is a I'm trying to think of her name. I want to say Mira Sorvino, but let me see her face to make sure that is the right person. I don't think it is. Nope, Natalie Morales. <laughs> um, she was uh, uh, Tom Haverford's girlfriend in Parks and Rec, mm. uh, and I, re I I like her as an actress. She has her own. Uh, live studio audience show right now. I think they only have one season. I'm not sure if they're going to get renewed or anything. It was okay. She She's like a, a backyard bartender in a bar that she started up. Oh, I think uh, that already got cancelled. Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't great. It really wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so anyway, so I, I liked her in that she plays uh, the cop's daughter. Uh, so that was fun seeing her in that too. Uh, so overall, it was a it was a pretty funny f film. Um, it wasn't like crazy laugh out loud or anything. It was, I think I laughed out loud like a uh, maybe a handful of times. Um, I do I I do really like Dave Bautista. I think he's uh, uh pretty cool. So I like seeing him in more stuff. 
Uh, and then obviously Kumail Nanjiani is uh, amazing. So it was pretty fun. Uh, and then the other thing I saw on Netflix, so uh, going from, uh, this is a documentary. Uh, so I thought it was uh, relevant uh, because I, I believe uh, this is, are, are we in Pride Month, right? Yeah. June? Okay, yeah. Um, I kept wanting to like double check and then I just kept forgetting. <laughs> but <laughs> I was like, uh, this had been on my list uh, for a little while and I was like, oh, this is like the perfect month to watch this. Um, but uh, it's called Circus of Books. Uh, so it's a documentary on Netflix. Uh, so it it's about um, a Jewish couple in Los Angeles who run a pornographic book and video store for uh, gays and lesbian community. Um, and so the uh, creator of the documentary, the you know director of the documentary is actually their daughter. Uh, so she uh, um, uh, uh, did this documentary in the last year that they were in business. Um, so we actually, uh, the last little bit of that uh, films them closing up shop forever. <laughs> um, it just got to the point where they couldn't keep up the, with the internet. You know, once the internet came, came out, their business just plummeted, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. It was really interesting to see their perspective on what it meant to be running that business um, because they didn't get into it um, having one thought or another about uh, being, you know, uh, about the gay community. Uh, Like, these are two uh, straight Jewish people who had three kids already by the time they got into this. Um, And so they literally just started doing this to start paying bills and they uh obviously go into it more depth but it was really interesting how they acquired the store and how they got into it so it's karen and barry mason uh so karen is definitely like the alpha of the two and they like (laughs) they make that very clear over and over throughout the documentary um and uh it's kind of funny um but anyway so uh she uh uh, states, you know, a few times, she's like, well, I didn't really think of it as, like, you know, like, we own a porn store or, you know, pornographic bookstore. She's like, it's just a business to me. She's like, it's not a business that I've ever been proud of because it's porn. Um, but it was something that paid the bills and sent the kids to college and, you know, food on the table and all that. Um, but at the same time, um, she of the two of them is uh more deeply tied to uh her faith uh whereas her husband Barry was very separate from the church um even though he was Jewish he just uh didn't feel any kind of need to practice you know practice the religion uh so uh she was very conservative regarding uh who they let know they owned and operated this store, um, and she uh, was very um, kind of ashamed, you know, all throughout. And so, you know, it was one of those things where it's like she was running a thriving business, and yet she couldn't be proud of it. So it mm-hmm. was it was really hard uh, and interesting to see that. Uh, whereas uh, Barry uh, seemed pretty okay with it; <laughs> he was fine with it. <laughs> 
Um, and it was really interesting because they eventually started um, uh, sponsoring and making uh, adult pornographic films. Um, so they they would say they they never watched them and they were never on set, so they didn't even know what the films were about. They just know they would they would uh, pay for them to be made, and they sold really well. <laughs> and it was really sweet because they would just talk about. Um, their relationship to their customers, their employees, the community. And uh, they um, explained that they never really felt like they had to be or were activists in the in the movement or anything um, because they uh, started the store in 1976. So uh, pretty close to when uh, the AIDS uh, crisis happened. Um, so... Uh, it's like they start out and at first it's, you know, really thriving. They're getting everything going and um, and then suddenly, uh, you know, this crisis hits and they discuss um, the tragedy of literally just losing employees to this because a lot, the majority of their employees were gay men. And uh, they said how uh, um, just like jarring and terrifying it was um, and sad it was that uh, they said they had one employee who uh, worked Monday through Friday. He left work on Friday and was dead on Monday. No. And it, they were just, they were absolutely heartbroken. And uh, they talked about um, what it was like to, uh, they, uh, Barry, he uh, visited an employee um, in the hospital. And he was like, I need to get a hold of your parents, man. Like, you know, they need to be here. And he called his parents and uh, he, they were, you know, he tried to explain to them. He's like, hey, your son is really sick. I think you need to, like, come see him in the hospital and say goodbye. And uh, they just straight up were like, nope, he was kicked out of the house. He doesn't exist. He's already dead to us. And he was just like, how can you think like that? Like, He's like, I don't care if they're gay or straight. He's a child, you know? It's like even he's, you know, 20s. So it was just, it was really interesting watching people talk about what it was like to live through that without really having one, you know, one thought on it, you know, say to say it was good or bad. And it was just them kind of just not understanding how humans couldn't, you know, still feel love towards other humans when they were going through, you know, such, a, you know, I mean, they were dying, literally. Um, mm -hmm. So it was a, it was really interesting hearing their thoughts during that and then hearing um, their daughter, she interviewed, uh, she has two brothers as well. Um, and then, uh, so hearing their take on what it was like growing up during all this, because they didn't know what the family store was, because you know, obviously the parents didn't want to tell them. It's like, oh, mommy and daddy run a porn store. <laughs> um, but they did eventually find out um, when they were teenagers and uh, meeting other teenagers who had been to the store. <laughs> um, so it's funny. And then, uh, and then interestingly enough, um, uh, early on in the documentary, uh, we uh, see that their one of their sons is actually gay, actually came out as gay. Uh, so it was interesting to see how they started in that business, and then they ended up 
having themselves a gay son and then, you know, living through um, that mental transition, emotional transition, um, and then how they accepted him and, uh, you know, how that impacted their view on uh, not what they were doing, like, uh, like regarding the pornographic store, but what their thoughts now were you know, right or wrong towards the gay community. So it was really interesting just seeing um, all that progress and then having uh, having both the kids and the parents uh, take on all the circumstances that were happening. So uh, definitely give it a go. I think it's like an hour, 45 minutes. Uh, so uh, pretty, it's a pretty decent length for a, for a documentary. Um, so I thought it was a pretty good watch. So you go check that out. (laughs) And then the last one I'm going to mention, um, is another documentary, but this is, uh, on Disney plus. Uh, so for anybody who was into the Mandalorian and like the Mandalorian, or if you're just interested in the filmmaking process itself, uh, there is a documentary series. They did, uh, Disney gallery. Uh, for the Mandalorian, um, and it is, I think, seven episodes so far. I'm not sure how many episodes total they're going to end up doing for this season, uh, but they just walk you through um, all the all their process for each episode for the entire series overall. Uh, so it was really cool. It was amazing, eye opening when it came to uh, uh, visual effects. So apparently, um, and in true, in true Star Wars form, they are like, uh, just, uh, trailblazers when it comes to technology for filmmaking. Um, so this has already existed for a few years, but filmmaking with VR for special effects. Um, so, uh, John Favre, who worked on, uh, The Jungle Book and Lion King, uh, is also the writer and uh, creator of The Mandalorian. Um, so he uh, was able to bring a lot of the uh, uh, knowledge and technology that they use for Mowgli and Lion King over to this and then build on it immensely, uh, just like beyond anything I knew we could do at this time. Um, so it was really cool because uh, so instead of doing... Uh, uh, solely traditional, like, blue screen, green screen for visual effects, they actually would create in VR the world that they wanted to see, and then they would film in that world, and then what they would do is they would do a 360 view of that world um, on a screen that was like a uh, like a box room, you know, just a room, But uh, it would be projected, the VR world would be projected on the screen, and then they would film in front of that screen. Uh, So uh, when you're filming a character, say, walking across a desert scene, uh, you could actually follow him, and on, on your recording, the screen with the VR effects would be working, so it would look like you're just panning around an outside world. So it was it was really cool. And so like 
Uh, you'll obviously see it way better in the documentary. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it was just mind-blowing that they were able to do that. Um, so to know that these uh, epic landscape scenes outside that we were seeing were actually being seen in real time by the actors and filmmakers. So that was that was really cool to like be able to be in the room and to look up and to be in a VR world, you know, mm-hmm. and to just like look out into this amazing horizon. It was really cool. So uh, that and other like really cool insider facts on the show, they do like a director's table round table. I think they had eight directors in total. Um, including Taika Waititi. Um, so yeah, it was it was really cool. It was really eye-opening, and I absolutely love the filmmaking aspect of anything. So anytime I, anytime there's like behind the scenes or documentaries, I'm eating that shit up. So uh, <laughs> if you're uh, at all interested in the filmmaking process, uh, definitely go check it out. It is gallery on Disney Plus. But yeah, that's me. So, um, speaking of Pride Month, I watched a movie called Pride on uh, Amazon Prime. Um, So it's based in the 1980s, this group of um, gay men and one lesbian um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) decide to uh, raise money for the these miners because the miners were on strike because Margaret Thatcher um who was the prime minister at the time had like fucked over the miners so they'd all walked out of the mines and had been on strike for almost a year so this one the main character Mark it's it's the pride parade in London and he decides to take buckets and um try and raise money for the miners and then they decide to make it into a whole group and they keep they keep trying to give the money to these miners but uh nobody will accept their money because they're gay and uh oh wow yeah they're like uh we don't want to take your support like even though they raised a lot of money they still didn't want it so then they end up reaching out to this they just pick a town at random and they pick this town in Wales and um the town decides to invite them to their like get together for people showing support for them and uh this the town just kind of really in like obviously there's still bigots and stuff but there's like the main group uh of people in the town who really take to this group of gays and lesbians and uh it's just a really heartwarming movie um it stars I don't know if I've seen the main guy in anything but um the main character from 1917 is in it oh okay Um, yep I know who you're talking about he not the uh, guy from Game of Thrones but the other guy right Right, yeah, the the okay. one who makes it through the whole movie. Spoilers alert for that. For that movie, but, uh, <laughs> the, the one who makes it all the way The one through. who doesn't die. Yeah. <laughs> um, George and, McKay. Yeah. Um, he plays, uh, he, he's not, like, out to his family yet, 
but being with this group of people who accept him for being gay is, like, the best time he's ever had in his life, but then mm-hmm. he's, like, very nervous to be around his family, and he's, like, lying to them about where he's going and all that fun stuff. Um, and, uh, Andrew Scott, a.k.a. Hot Priest from Fleabag is in it, and, um, he and Dominic West, who's been in, like, a bunch of shit, um, they're, like, they own a bookshop, which is where this group, like, meets, um, and it's also got Bill Nighy, not the science guy, the other one, (laughs) um, he, he, he's one of the main people at the town, and also, uh, the lady who plays Umbridge in Harry Potter is in it, I don't know her real name, and I feel bad about that, um, (laughs) And also, um, Joseph Gilgan, who was in Misfits and, uh, Preacher, um, he plays the main character's best friend, um, but anyways, it's got a great British cast, um, of people who you'll be like, hey, I know those people, (laughs) (laughs) um, and, yeah, it's just a, a beautiful little movie, I I, it's not one of those movies you ever hear people talk about, which I think is a shame, because I, I think it was really great, and, uh, it, 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 it like, it doesn't shy away, because it is the 1980s, and so it's, like, right in the middle of the AIDS crisis, and, like, people are very bigoted, and you do see that bigotry, but you also see, like the beauty of people who were allies at that time, who, like, live in a small Welsh mining town. They, like, like, if you were gay, you you kept it to yourself for your whole life. Like, these people don't know how to deal with gay people. And, uh... So, yeah, just in general, I think it... It, it was a beautiful movie, and, uh, really well acted. It, it's surprisingly funny. And, uh... The, the ending made me sob like a little bitch, so <laughs> it's, uh, it's very, very heartfelt, and I, I really liked it, um, so yeah, that, that one's, uh, free on Amazon Prime right now, because they're doing a whole big pride thing, they got a whole list of movies that are LGBTQ friendly, so, nice. um, and then, um, the other thing I watched, also on Amazon Prime, um, is this anime called, um, Banana Fish, and, uh, it's, so the, the main character is called Ash, and he is, like, the, the leader of this, like, group gang, basically, he's a gang leader, um, and he... Uh, runs into this guy who's dying on the street and the guy hands him something and says banana fish and he doesn't know what the fuck that means and uh, so he goes kind of to like the he's like the Don I guess is what you would call him like he's the main mafioso in in the area and kind of tries to get information, and they find out that he knows something, and he probably, um, has information that he shouldn't, so then they start targeting Ash, and, uh, 
so the the whole show is kind of um, Ash versus this main mafioso called Pop, they call him Papa Dino, and uh, um, there's also this character called Eiji, who is from Japan because you can't it takes place in New York so they had to get Japan in there somewhere, um, <laughs> and uh, so he uh, is. A photographer's assistant, and the photographer was interviewing Ash when Papadino kind of comes in to fuck shit up, and so E.G. gets kind of roped in, and he and Ash get this, like, very, um, deep connection with each other, and uh, so at, like, um... So the Ash was um, raped from a very young age. He uh, it, he's got like the worst backstory in any anime I've ever seen. <laughs> like it's it's really tragic. But uh, so he he's like very beautiful to the point where like people are really gross with him, unfortunately. Um, and so he his brother went into the military when he was very young and so the guys in his hometown kind of took advantage of the fact that he was on his own and then he gets sold into um like child prostitution basically um so yeah so it, it's like it, you never see anything too explicit but that I imagine that could be pretty upsetting for people if you didn't know it was gonna be talked about, so just wanted sure. to kind of warn people up <laughs> ahead. But, uh, so yeah, so he he's not used to, to people who don't want something from him, and so when he meets E.G., is like the only guy he's ever met who hasn't tried to like, sexually make advances on him. And so they kind of have this really beautiful relationship, whether you want to look at it as platonic or, or something more, but, um, yeah, so the, the whole show is kind of, uh, like, they, they're going up against these awful fucking people who, who will basically do anything to, to win, and, uh, yeah, and, it's pretty fucking heartbreaking, I'll tell you that. Um, it's one of those shows that you finish and it just kind of sits with you, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, like, you like you finish it and it, it's just, like, in your fucking head. Like, you know you're never gonna forget this show. Um, so I guess I'm just trying to, you know, pass that pain on and make other people... <laughs> 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 feel it too. I don't know. But it, it it is it's a beautiful story. The animation in it is gorgeous. Um and yeah, I despite it being like I don't know, it it's for the subject matter, it's surprisingly watchable, I'd say. Like you'd think something like that would be just like miserable to watch. But it kind of wasn't. So I don't know. Like, it, it's such a strange 
beast of a of a show. Um, but yeah, I I really enjoyed watching it despite how kind of horrible the subject matter is, and uh, I would absolutely recommend it. Which is weird, but I would. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to just finish out on a little bit of a happier note, um, so. Mark Marin, who has a very famous podcast, but he also is in Glow, the Netflix original show. Um, mm-hmm. He has three stand-up specials on Netflix, and uh, I was just bored one night, and I, I wanted to watch something I could kind of just, like, you know, it, sometimes you just want something you don't have to pay too much attention to. Mm-hmm. So I was just looking for something to watch, and I put on one of his uh, specials, and it, it literally had me crying with laughter. I was laughing so fucking hard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, of course, after I finished the first one, I watched the other two, um, and I, I really, I really liked them. Um, not all of them made me cry with laughter, but. Uh, I think that the one that did is his most recent special. But yeah, I I would also recommend those, especially if you like comedy. Um, he, he's got a very interesting and unique comedy style compared to some other stand-ups. Um, he kind of... It, it feels like he's just having a conversation with you, which is very interesting. He doesn't feel like he's performing. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, yeah, it, it it was a really interesting thing to watch, and then it also sometimes made me cry laughing. So, so yeah, I would <laughs> say if you're a comedy nerd, definitely definitely check that one out. Or all three of them. I think any of them are good, but some of them are a little better than others. But, but yeah. Cool. So uh, that's what I've been doing with myself. so yeah Uh, I guess that's the show then until the next home theater release yeah we live in weird times (laughs) yes (laughs) alright well thank you for listening stay safe and wash your hands yeah (laughs) (laughs) bye bye